0: Thank you to everyone who has been supporting the podcast by subscribing, giving us five-star ratings, writing glowing reviews, sharing the podcast far and wide, and donating. If you haven't yet, we hope you do. We have amazing things planned, and you are making it possible for us to continue producing the podcast. Most of all, thank you very much for joining us on these wild adventures into history, ideas, and existential mystery. If you're a podcaster and you'd like to interview Nachliel or me, please get in touch. In fact, if you're anyone who'd like to get in touch, please get in touch. Links below. Before we start this episode, I want to apologize for the difficulties with the audio. We had a load of difficulties, but to bring you the amazing conversation, I did everything in my power to edit it so that it should still be a pleasurable experience for you. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Artifact Podcast, where we discuss the history, ideas, and existential stuff behind everyday objects. And some not everyday (laughs) objects. I'm your host, Mare Simcha. And I'm
1: Nachliel Sullivan. And today we're talking about... Some heavy stuff, Doc. Ooh, heavy stuff. Really okay. heavy. We're going to be talking about... Wait for it? No, that's what we're talking about. Yes, wait for it. But hold on, it's not that heavy. No, it's actually 23 grams. I'm talking about stones. Not, not something that gets you stoned. <laughs>
0: but wait, it's we're a two-shekel really weight. One shekel is 23 grams.
1: The two, well, you know, they stopped producing the two-shekel coin. They stopped minting in Israel. And we're talking about a two-shekel weight. Weight, which would be... 23 grams of stone. 23 grams or 46 grams? No, 23 is the two. So if you want to know what one shekel is, you
0: have to divide that.
1: That's 11.5. Thank you.
0: I'm impressed that you could have that level of precision in the ancient world.
1: That is definitely something to admire, uh, especially because the shekel isn't the smallest measurement. The shekel is actually broken up into 20 gerah. if you're... Uh, in Egypt or using the Egyptian sphere of business. If you're in Mesopotamia, it's 24 because they have a 12 base. So they get into really, really small weights. You even have two-thirds and five-sixths of it. I mean, it really gets intricate. Hmm. Wait, what are we talking about? We're talking about a weight. So just to introduce this, on October thirteen, this is... Just earlier this month, well, last month at this point, they discovered the Israel Antiquities Authority released, uh, published a two shekel stone, which they found under Wilson's arch, which you're standing facing the western wall in the area known as the kota, the area where you pray. And to your left, there is a closed part of the kota, which is underneath an archway. It's you're going taking left. And that closed area goes underneath a second temple period arch, which is called Wilson's Arch, named after the scholar who discovered it. In those excavations, a lot of very interesting discoveries have been made, including all kinds of other things, like material that helped you actually date exactly when it was built. So that's pretty recent. So under that arch, uh, they found a two shekel weight. In other words, a weight which has the two shekel symbol on it, which is familiar. And if you're looking, you'll see there's an image of sort of like a fish facing downward or a loop, which is a money bag. It's an image of a money bag, which represents shekel. That's your basic weight unit. And there's two lines next to it, symbolizing two shekels. And we know that because we know that this is hieratic Egyptian for two. There's one, two, four and eight. Those are the digits usually find.
0: Are you sure it's not a bunny rabbit?
1: I'm quite sure because those weights don't multiply so quickly. Oh. So that was found and it was found in an area which was the marketplace underneath the Temple Mount during the first and second temple period. So you're at the marketplace right outside the temple. Did that sound familiar? That's where
0: like you can go to turn over some tables and start a revolution, I, right?
1: I think you're getting the message across pretty well. Okay. You've made your point your pointus. My pointus? Pointus Pilate.
0: Oh, very good,
1: very good. Nailed it. Okay. <laughs> I was just tapping one. Knock on wood? Yes. <laughs> okay, we're really going uh, extra uh, covenantal here.
0: Said the joker to the thief. Ha ha.
1: Well, so that takes us to uh, the story of of, uh, business, doing business outside the temple. I think that's a very uh,
0: great point to discuss. Uh, we're going we're gonna to get there. Right, because like you I mean the whole point of having this market there would be to, to do what? Well,
1: well, if you're coming to the temple, think about it this way. What are people doing in the temple? Well, I want to bring a sacrifice and I don't want to schlep my sheep all the way from Shiloh. So you're going to schlep your credit card. So I'll take my credit card. Yeah. And you're going to come to the marketplace. You're going to come to these booths where they have ready-made Uh, sacrificial units Mm. in different sizes and different qualities for different purposes. I would like a sin offering for adultery. Um, I just mean, uh, can I have a goat, please?
0: (laughs) That sounds very bad. I can give you a great package deal. You get your goat and your mincha and your libation all at once. And that's just how you do it. And, So, of course, you have
1: money circulating at the foot of the Temple Mount because that's where business is happening. People are coming in for this purpose. So it really makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And and you have also a lot of tourism coming in. I mean, you know, Tacitus and and, uh, Pliny the Elder and many uh, Roman historians talk about the incredible influx of tourism coming to see the marvel of the Herodian Temple. We're talking about the last years that the temple existed, the last 70 years or something. We were under construction for most of that time. And Herod the Great rivaled the great temples of the Roman world. He really made a marvel to see. And so, people came to see it. And it brought in a tremendous amount of tourism. So, people came wow. to see it. And they came and they purchased and they bought. And there's offerings that even Gentiles can bring. But in general, you're supporting the economy. So, the business is happening right there. It's the marketplace. Makes a lot of sense, right? And so, I thought that that would be a great introduction to talk about weights and measurements and money because in the weekly parasha, we just read parashat Lech Lecha, there's a Midrash, a Midrash Tehilim, Midrash, Tehili, Midrash Lecha Tov, but it shows up in, in several different places where God's basically telling Avraham, Lech Go forth from your land, your homeland, uh, your father's land, uh, where you grew up, and go into the unknown, to the land which I will show you. Mm-hmm. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be, basically, you'll be plentiful, you'll be successful. So that, I'll make your name great, the Midrash says, Zo that is his monitin. His name, well, his moni- reputation. In modern Hebrew, we use that Greek word, moniton, or monitin, to mean reputation, okay. which is kind of cool, right? That we actually have that Greek word, but then it says, his coin. Mm-hmm. And what was this coin? It says, well, on one side, there was an older couple. And on the other side of the coin, there was a young couple. Mm-hmm. So you have both sides of the coin of life. There's young age and there's old age, and you need both to appreciate
0: it. And that, thats referring to Avram. To
1: Avram. Coin. So he's saying Avram's coin should circulate, should be known. People should have his money, should know his coin. I mean, it's kind of an interesting idea. It's interesting that
0: his, his name, his reputation, the image of Abraham would be linked specifically to age and to the passage of time. And, and I mean, yeah. I mean, we pretty
1: much go through a hundred years of his life mm-hmm. from when he shows up. Right, he's 75 when he leaves mm-hmm. Haran, and he's 175 when he dies. I mean,
0: He's also this transitional figure. He and Sarah are married before he has the Lech Lecha. Right.
1: We don't really know too much about his young life. We just know that he was yeah. a troublemaker. Mm-hmm. And he had to leave U, and he's upset the establishment, and he was, he was, he was a problematic character. He was mm-hmm. probably Jewish.
0: <laughs> what? There were no Jews then? There were no Jews then. So the point is that these Jews are probably... Children of Avraham.
1: Yeah. If you're being chronological about it, you could probably say that. You're
0: hinting at something here.
1: Well, well, I mean, if you want to be very historical about things, yes.
0: This could be like a time loop, time travel thing. I think you're suggesting that there could not actually be such a coin. No there couldn't. Well, well,
1: first of all, in order to produce a coin, you need to have jurisdiction. You need to have some form of government in control that would allow you to print coins and make this currency. Abraham
0: was a big guy. He could make coins.
1: Okay, could you force other people to acknowledge them and use them? I mean, it's, it's, it's problematic. I like, don't know. I, I don't really buy it. Well, look, it goes in, it goes further. The Midrash also says that Yeshua had a coin with two different animals on it, which have to do with his tribal association. Uh, there's the coin of King David who had, uh, the accoutrements, you can call it, of of a shepherd, it has a staff and a, and a bag mm-hmm. on one side, and then it has a tower and a, like, a, a pa, like a a crown or something on the other side, right? And then there's Mordechai who had a, he, his greatness mm-hmm. on like a golden tiara, a golden crown, and on the other side it had his, his mourning and sackcloth.
0: But it's beautiful, it, it comes together with that uh, metaphor that we have in English, two sides of the same coin.
1: Yeah. It's like, is this really a coin or are they trying to make a point? Perfect. These are people whose name became great and known throughout the land for one reason or another. Mm. And it's saying the way their name, their monitin, mm. became known is through their coins. Now, it's interesting that the word money and monitin are probably related. Mm-hmm. So, the word for money comes from that reputation. That thing which bears your reputation mm. is in currency. Current, corrente means running around, right? So it, it runs around.
0: Current, it flows.
1: It, exactly, it's, it's current. current. You know, corrente means running in, in Spanish. Oh, wow. Right. In Portuguese, cohenchi, current. It's current, current, curry. Exactly. So it means like it's running, it's flowing water, running water. Yeah, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's that cool idea. But I'm just saying that this is is a historical. We can't, there's no proof that, first of all, besides the question of who produces coins and has the ability to force people to accept this thing Mm -hmm. as money, Mm but coins didn't exist in the world at the time.
0: So hold on you you're saying that this coin that these coins that we're hearing about in the midrash are actually a historical a historical yeah because there were there were not coins at that point in history as far as we know nothing archaeological to suggest that No But then what about Marta Machpela where we have a pasuk that says Avraham measured out 400 shekel kesef. shekels of kesef,
1: yeah. Well, that's that's a great point. 400 uh, shekels Well, because well, we're we're looking at that in modern Hebrew. What is a shekel in modern Hebrew? A shekel is money. And what is kesef in modern Hebrew? Uh, kesef is money. So 400 money money. Money monies, yeah. M- money yeah. Very Jewish. Money, money. Money, 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 if I was a rich man. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> So, but, but let's, let's take this apart because we're making a lot of assumptions here. Our assumption is that this is referring to shekels of silver, right? So the word kesef has dual meaning in modern Hebrew. It means silver and it means money. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, it meant something very simple. This weight that was found under Wilson's arch was simply a stone which you'd put on one side of the scale and you'd have silver, little pieces of silver, which would then be melted together once you have the measurement, you know, adjusted. And those silver pieces, called hack silver, and those silver pieces are the kesef. Shekel simply means weight, Mm -hmm. mishkol, mishkal. Mm -hmm. Shekel simply means a weight unit, Mm -hmm. a weight unit of silver. That was the standard because it's the easiest thing to trade with and do business with. And so you'd actually weigh, and we've actually found this is uh, the shekel units come in units in multiples of two and four. So you have one, two, ignoring the fractions right now, one, two, four, eight, 40, 80, 400. That's actually how they show up. Hmm. So four hundred shekel kesef. Th- those are the kinds of weights that we had. Yes, and then you would put them together. Now the ones that we have and that was been found is actually first temple period. We can study from cross referencing and comparing uh, documents which have to do with sales. And, and some uh, scholars of the ancient Near Eastern studies have actually done this uh, with Hittites and with Assyria and with Akkadian. They've actually been able to tell what the annual wages are and to actually trace inflation. Oh And wow. so four hundred oh, shekel nice. kesef in the first temple period, what's called the Iron Age, two thousand, you know, seven, eight hundred, nine hundred years ago, was much less in value than what it was in the time of Avraham, which is called the Middle Bronze Age. It's like up to the year 1500, 1800, 1800 to 1600. 1800. The silver was 400 shekel t- kesef was a heck of a lot of money. Hmm. A lot of money. But this wasn't coins. But this was fine, simply fine. weighing silver. Prime real estate, Prime real estate. This is our It's international currency and in trade because, well, he's dealing with the Hittites. Uh, he, that's what he purchased from a Hittite. And it's actually a very interesting thing that we know from Hittite law, mm-hmm. based on their documents found in Khatusha in Turkey, that... When you uh, sell a property, there's two interesting things which sort of fit into the story. In property ta- sales and tax records, mm-hmm. when you sell a piece of property inside an estate, so Avram wanted to buy the property inside the estate. He didn't want to buy the estate. He just wanted to buy the, the cave, right? Uh-huh. <gasps> Efron insists on him buying the entire estate. The whole field. The whole As field. Well. And that's, They're doing this publicly in front of even everyone. Even the trees. Even the trees. And that's the, really the cool thing, because it's a treaty.
0: Oh.
1: <laughs> you see how we branched out to other different topics. Oh, man. Yeah, I'll leave this one. <laughs> but there's no no more case, no more than three in, in a row. In
0: case, the apple does not
1: fall from the tree. Yes, but these trees are probably not fruit trees. Nakhlil's father is also a master punster. Yes, he definitely is. It's, it's a lot of verbal punishment. But or, or there's... At this time of year, we think of pundits. Okay, let's stop. Uh. So, but what's really cool is number one, if you buy, if you, if you sell, you're an estate owner and you sell that property to somebody, mm. you still have to pay the government or the kingdom taxes for that property because you own the estate. And so he wants it off his hands. Oh,
0: he wants to get rid of his property
1: taxes. Right. And the other thing is you actually have to list how many trees are in the property. That is standard Hittite oh, property law. That makes sense. That's so cool. So it's yeah. why, why would I need to hear that? Wow. This is reflecting. And besides the fact that there's no contract signed, hmm. this is done publicly because that's how it was done in a society which did business in a rather illiterate way unless you want to hire a scribe and a royal. That was done for royal stuff at the time. Hmm. You didn't have regular business transactions with that level of documentation. It was just done in public. Everybody's there watching and it's repeated and it's repeated and it's repeated. And so that's how it's done. Right. Mm. So That's really, really cool. But that's pretty much what's happening then. So what they were doing is weighing silver against measurements of stone. And those indeed have been found. Mm. So let's talk about coins. So we're saying this is a historical because coins weren't actually used at the time. So When were the first coins used? The first coins were found in what we would call, from our perspective, the late First Temple period or late Iron Age. They're found in the 7th century, in the 600 BCE, in Lydia, which is uh, the Ionian Greek. It's it's basically Western Turkey, Asia Minor. Not that we think of Greece
0: today. No. But... No, in Turkey.
1: Yeah, but they're like associated. We have the Battle of Troy, for example, is in that area. The Temple of Artemis in Ephesus. It's all there on the coast, mm-hmm. on, the so- on the southern coast of Turkey, so- oh, southwest. What those coins like that. So, so those coins. First of all, they're made of electrum, which is a naturally find, found alloy of gold and silver. Um, so, it's a precious material, right? Which is important, and there's an impression on it, mm-hmm. and the impression on it is of a horse, of the Trojan horse, which immediately evoked the connection. Oh, to- hold on, that's to- crazy.
0: Yeah. Because these are Greek coins, like from the Greek culture, which are found in the area of ancient Troy, which would have been destroyed, you know, sometimes. So before. so who is there now? Now the Greeks are there. Exactly. Say, oh, where are the Greeks. This the Greeks is us.
1: Troy. We, we have, so there's also some coins which have the Lydian lion on it. The
0: Lydian lion. So <laughs> the Lydian lions.
1: Well, uh, but basically these are referring to mythological stories. Which were famous at the time and had a connection to that story, to the grandeur. So speaking about that chazal, that midrash, we're saying, Vaga de Shemecha, your monitin, your reputation is on your money. Money is your reputation that is put in such a form, a format which people will, everybody will see it. And so we see the
0: Greeks doing that for their reputation. Right.
1: Right in that place. And, and this, okay. this, these were found in the temple of Artemis in Ephesus. So, but this idea of, having the images on coins. And these coins are actually found in the temple. They're
0: found in the temple?
1: They were found in the... So very often you find coins deposited, like buried a, in a temple and like a, temple a treasure. Culture like us, like you go there and you buy your
0: sacrifice there.
1: and that's, uh, Well, the thing about these coins is that their value was, from what we know at the time, was so high, these couldn't have been used for regular transactions.
0: So are you saying that these coins were specific to the temple service? Like these were coins for the temple?
1: I mean, perhaps. Perhaps these coins coins were used, I don't know, maybe to take care of certain things in stock, maybe at certain levels of donation, I mean, that were transferred into a certain value. I, I don't, we don't really know. I mean, I don't really know. I just know that these were not used for regular business. They were when you buy um, wholesale, maybe. Maybe it's something like that. Buying wholesale? Maybe Mm -hmm. the temple is doing something wholesale, like we're now paying for a certain amount of service that's gonna be for the month or something, and here is your golden coin, which is stamped by the king. Uh,
0: Maybe something like that. Like a kind of fee, like a truma, like here's my my temple contribution. Maybe it's stored in a
1: certain way, not one person. That's not one person's
0: contribution. my My sacred tax. But speaking of charged things,
1: Well, electrum, electrum. well, that's, yeah, that's really cool. (laughs) So, so, so there's a, there's a myth, okay? There's a myth out there Mm. that Eliezer Ben Yehuda, Uh the quote unquote founder of modern spoken Hebrew, and I'm deliberately saying quote unquote, as the Syrian Jews will tell you, we've been speaking Hebrew all along. Yeah. And they'll show you the books. It's like, and spoken Hebrew,
0: Mm. right? It's like like a callback to episode one where we talk about Zionist propaganda. Yes. And now we're talking about... Yeah.
1: I think we mentioned that too there. Yeah, yeah, we talked about it there. Anyway, so. We're going to have to do modern Hebrew as an artifact is a word which in modern Hebrew means electricity, right? So people think that the word chashmal, it it shows up in the vision of the Merkavah, the chariot in the beginning of Yechezkel, or Ezekiel, right? So it's a very mystical sort of vision with the skies and the heavens opening up. And it mentions there Marea chashmal. What is chashmal? So it's a very Kabbalistic kind of loaded, charged word. And so what they say is that because of that, you know, Eliezer ben Yehuda found that word and used it to associate it with electricity. But if you look at some, I think it's like 15th century... Uh, German translation of the Torah, uh, it actually calls that material electrum. Chashmalah calls it electrum. Wow! In other words, we're talking about something which has to do with a particular shine associated with this metal. Hmm. So it actually is not something that he made up to refer to electricity. There is a deeper etymological connection there, which remains to be studied. Wow. That's really isn't that cool. Now the Greeks have a story that they tell of how coinage came, became introduced into Greece itself. So now we're talking about coins exist. Uh, how did the Greeks get the coins? Right. So coins exist, mm-hmm. right? But where did the skill for making them, mm. which is a whole process of oh, how to make the material, how to, how how to strike evolving. it. I mean, it needs to be something that not everybody yeah, can do you produce. How something like that? How do you have yeah. a consistent mold? So without getting into the yeah. heated debate, what the oh. Greeks would actually say is that the daughter of Agamemnon, one of his daughters... Iphigenia? I don't remember. I'm not the mythology guy. I just don't remember right she's now. She's the one he sacrificed. No, then probably not, because she's the one who married King Midas. That would be Damodike. So she married King Midas, and King Midas is known for the golden touch. Everything he touched turns into gold. And some of these scholars suggest that what the idea of Midas is, is he's basically saying that all of your goods are much more valuable
0: when converted to gold this is so beautiful. I love this. I had never thought about this dimension of the myth before. For me, I I guess I got stuck in a very childish vision of the myth where you just have this king going around touching everything and it turns into gold. I mean, we have to remember that mythologies uh, mythologies are there to tell a deep story. Yeah, but what you're saying is that this myth is about a king coming along saying, no, no, no. There can be currency. It's not just that everything has to be barter. Everything we can translate it into uh, a, a value, an abstracted form of value—the gold, and the gold, gold standard. Standard, and there's also fungibility to it. Mm-hmm. It's not like barter, where the particular chicken that I'm buying—well, this chicken here is healthier than that chicken, so I want this one. But you're saying it's the same price, and this and that. And it, no, no, it's not like nice. that. It's just we're going to take everything, and we're going to com- not commodify it, convert, convert it. it, convert it into a standardized liquid. Value
1: and at the end of the day, you end up killing the golden goose. Things die when he touches them. Right, he touches because, his daughter. Right? right, touches his daughter. So yeah. he turns her into gold and he mm-hmm. kills her because at the end of the day, that gold rush will kill you if you become too obsessed with gold. You'll never live life because it's all about potential, potential. I'm wondering, just
0: riffing off this idea. Uh, well, you know, I know that that's not BS. And do you know how I know that it's not? How? Because we've been talking about money and Monitine and Midas had the minotaur. That's a lot of bull.
1: Ah, I see what you did there. I see what I did I there. I see what you did there. Very, I, I, I appraise you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Taking us back to our story, they say that it was this daughter of Agamemnon mm. who married King Midas who learned that idea of how to make coins and introduced it to Greece. So that puts all of it together, because that's what money is. It's the concept of converting
0: something into fungibility, right? That's fascinating that that the art of making coins would be ascribed to a daughter of Agamemnon,
1: specifically a woman. Mm -hmm. Based on all of these ideas, which eventually evolved into coinage in the Roman world, which continued this idea of spreading your reputation by using known images on coins. Many of them come from mythology, from Alexander the Great. We'll see these different things later. They're taking what the context of the Roman world to explain an idea in terms we can understand, as opposed to making an historical statement saying, oh yeah, Abraham made coins. I mean, to make coins, you need to have not necessarily a bank because a bank the concept of a gold standard is that these notes represent gold that is somewhere and the king is signing on it saying that this is going worth that we're talking about the coin being the actual value mm-hmm. though in some cases it was worth more than the actual value because it has the king's name signed on it mm-hmm. so people would sort of like like sort of file away bits and p- bits of the coin because mm-hmm. it's still worth the same amount because it's signed on by the king and you would be probably you know killed or imprisoned for forging coins so so it was wow. a big, You can't just make coins. Mm-hmm. Coins were sometimes very regional. This area uses these coins. That area uses those coins. It's this king. It's that king. A new king ascends the throne. They make new coins, mm-hmm. right? And coins were only introduced into the
0: Jewish world. That's also a great way to to collect money from people coming from other regions. Uh, now you have to buy our coins in order to do business with us. I hear. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's but it's also and letting everybody know who's boss. Mm-hmm. Which you know, it's why you have you know these rulers on money right except in the United States because they broke away from the monarchy so they they have a rule where a president has to have been deceased for three years before they can be printed on the notes
0: ah that's interesting you're saying there it has to you can't use these as a mark of personal authority right but we will use our money to kind of develop the mythology of our, our people. I mean, that's all
1: the, the Illuminati and everything that's on the coins, right? <laughs> the, on the money, right?
0: Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, anyway, so... Uh, well, I, I want to go back to uh, sure. to one point that you were saying there about the, the nature of this, say, historical midrash. The, the sort of hermeneutical point is that the midrash is using the culture contemporary to the people who are saying the Midrash in order to articulate something about the people it's describing. Correct. It's using the contemporary cultural language of coinage as expressing reputation in order to talk about who was Avraham, who was Mordechai, who was Yeshua. Had he actually been able to mint
1: coins, what would be the symbol that he represents? And if we think about Avraham, I kind of doubt we would think about this two sides of a coin in terms of a couple a, a who are living together and growing together and learning to love each other with a young couple and an old couple. Like, that wouldn't be what comes to mind when I think of Avraham. Maybe you yeah, would you think, think about Akana, yeah, like other ideas. I'm like, this is the, the idea. Bris, maybe put the bris on the coin. Yeah, the circumcision or maybe his his... Maybe his... Is free, being a freedom fighter, maybe having a tent open to the four corners, yeah, which is, yeah. maybe, uh, maybe praying about Saddam, something more iconic of him, like he argues with God, he's a he's a debater. I mean,
0: something. I'd like to go back to the use of those first coins of the Greek temple we were talking about. You were saying that these coins were <laughs> too much to be used for regular commercial purposes. They were connected to something about a the temple. temple. Yeah, the
1: temple I don't know We're purchasing in stock Something for the temple I mean, the temple is a big deal It's, it's government
0: funded Or whatever mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. my friend Marty Newman Who is actually A numismatist Numismatist Numismatist, numismatist.
1: Newman Numismatist nomenclature. Numen. That's really funny
0: He started in Greek and Roman coins mm-hmm. He was really interested In the coins for when the, From the time When the, the empires Were falling apart Okay He liked the messy coins When things were Getting really chaotic because you could see the
1: disintegration. It's always in the irregularities that you get the fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, the coin that was struck on another coin or that yeah. was stuck together. That's how you, it's the glitches in the system where you learn a lot more yeah. than when everything runs yeah.
0: smoothly. Yeah. Always, historically, you're looking for the problems, for the mess-ups. So he's a fascinating guy. He eventually got into Arabic coins and Chinese coins and Mongolian yes. coins. Yes. Amazing stuff. He has a hypothesis mm-hmm. based and initially on coins, he, he looked at this fact about coins being connected initially to a temple, and he said that aphorism that people say, necessity is the mother of invention, right. is not strictly true. Necessity is not the only mother of invention. Some things start out not for practical purposes and then get co-opted into sacred purposes. They start out for sacred purposes, and then they get diffused into... Practical, mundane, everyday purposes. Well, so he was he was thinking about coins, language, and uh, particularly writing. Those were some there, areas. There's
1: documents. one thing which was primarily used for sacrament. Uh, poetry, for example. Mm- m- poetry is found is in temples. Music, but I'll even say wine for libations, yeah, which if yeah. you don't mind passing the wine, mm. I'd appreciate that.
0: We touched on this uh, in our previous episode.
1: Um, yes, we did. When it rains, it pours. Hmm. Well, the only thing that I would argue about that, other than the fact that it is probably true in many cases, is that what we are calling cultic societal institutionalized cultic worship and beliefs are more of a necessity than we, be, than we appreciate right now. It, in other words it's, it's not a secret that whenever archaeologists find something they don't understand it, this is probably a cultic vessel. Like why does
0: everything have to be cultic? Is that like the, the rug that you brush everything under?
1: Yeah, oh it's probably a temple. Mm. It's probably used for cultic purposes because nobody else had anything else to do mm-hmm. but when you think about it, how chaotic the world is, how ununderstood the pre-scientific world is and especially back then when things were so Everything was chaotic, right? I want to keep things under control. I want to understand the world. And so when you come up with an explanation for the world, which cultures would call creation stories and origin stories, that gives you a sense of structure. Mm. A family that prays together. Stays Stays together, together. right? A society which is centered around a ziggurat, as we find in Ur, in Mesopotamia, in the center, the epicenter of the city, and it's possibly part of the idea behind the Tower of Babel, is this concept where we are all united by this deity of the city who we have to serve in a particular way, and that will guarantee us success in all of the basic needs that we have, according to, you know, Maslow's Pyramid of Needs,
0: food, water, shelter. People cling on to something. There's a, a social and biological survival function yes. of these ideologies. The
1: fact is that we find cave paintings were in use for over 30,000 years and almost in direct continuity until the urban revolution in which these other structures replaced them. As this is, Karen Armstrong argues this in The Case for God. Hmm. Uh, the fact that, that these cave paintings, which were definitely some sort of ritual, which has to do with understanding nature and hunting, mm-hmm. hunted the mm-hmm. circle, whatever it is, we don't really know, mm-hmm. uh, it's clear that it, it was effective. Mm-hmm. It, otherwise, it had utility. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it wouldn't be in use It wouldn't have lasted For tens of thousands of years Right So it had utility And then it was replaced By something that happened When his societal structure changed And
0: so you need to have It's a really remarkable shift Subterranean cave painting To something that's The opposite of subterranean projects from the ground I mean, but If you think about
1: it There's another Midrash Which says that Avraham Referred to the relationship to God In terms of a mountain mm-hmm. Yitzchak Isaac in terms of a field And Yaakov Jacob in terms of a home mm-hmm. Which is where we get the idea of a temple from as a place where you can connect heaven to earth. It's a fascinating concept because Avraham in that sense was very much, he meditates out in the field on the mountaintop like a hermit. I mean, that's kind of how you would think about Avraham, right? So things change. We develop, we evolve mm-hmm. it's, We have to mature to that level of dealing with the temple But the temple itself is is, is addressing very primal needs mm-hmm. And so it's just redefining
0: necessity Ah, okay, that's beautiful what you're saying
1: Well, here's another ahistorical point Speaking of money So there's a, there's another Midrash which talks about Yaakov Right, Yaakov going to Shechem He comes back from... Armenia. Oh. Comes back from Aram and he, he comes back from the diaspora. Yes, he comes back from Chutz Laaretz, And what does he talk about? Money! Yeah. Of course. You know, as they say, the joke is that when you come to, when you pass by Teaneck, New Jersey, the sign says, we're all pro-aliyah, but you know, Parnassa. <laughs> hmm. Yaakov comes into the city. V'yavoy Yaakov shalem ir he Finishes his encounter with Asaf, which of course has a lot to do with bribing him and mm-hmm. giving him gifts and all that stuff. Well, it says he arrived Shalem, he <laughs> right paid up. So, vayichan you know, so, <laughs> it and he graced the face of the city, the face of the city. So, the the, the Talmud, the Gemara, and Shabbat says in Gimel, page thirty three, says that there are several options of how to understand this. One of them is matbeatik, and that he instituted coinage. Mm-hmm. One of them is is Shvakim He instituted marketplaces and the one is Merchatzot, this bath how because of course that's where all the business happens of course as you know.
0: I didn't know that but uh,
1: you clearly have not been to uh, to uh, a Shvitz.
0: No, I've never been to a Shvitz. Okay. I didn't know Shvitzes are places of business meetings you're saying? Where else? In Shul? Well, that too. Oh, this is like a thing.
1: Hasidish. Well, same thing. Okay. Yes. I'll make you enough offer you can't refuse. <laughs> Yeah, well, talking about uh, throwing in the towel. Oh. That's really bad. Stinks. Are, are we still in the ring? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm getting hot under the collar here. Okay, so let's talk about this concept because we want to talk about, like, okay, it's ahistorical in the sense of coins weren't I- in existence, but there's an idea here that we're trying to talk about. What is it that
0: Yaakov did when it's, he comes to Shem? You're saying that the, that the sages who gave over this midrash, for the, in this case, this, they're using their contemporary culture to articulate something. So what is it about money and marketplaces that we have from what we're calling the Roman period?
1: This is not the first Chazal, not the first Talmudic explanation, like the opening of Avodah Zarah, which, which is a tract that all is about the relationship between how we live amongst Gentiles, which is the reality yeah, yeah. for most of our history. It's talking about uh, marketplaces. Mm-hmm. It actually opens up with what have the Romans ever done for us? <laughs>
0: yeah. right. Marketplaces, yeah. sanitation, yeah. schools. You might have thought that Tractate De Zara would be all about Idolatry. Yeah. Idolatry But religion, it's but it's not. Philosophy. It's about what do you do on Christmas when your neighbor is you know yeah. Are you allowed to sell to him before Christmas?
1: Yeah. It um, branches out into a lot of
0: different Yeah, a lot of different directions. But I branch, mean, like, When Christmas I think tree, of the I think from the line. Roman Empire and uh and Roman economics, I think of Pax Romana. You oh, yeah. have this Roman peace that allows interrelationships between communities you know, flung all across a continent and a little bit more.
1: I mean, the way I always thought of Pax Romana is more like, if you pay your taxes and you're subservient to the Roman Empire, you will have all the
0: best products of the Empire available to you at an affordable price. Yeah, because you can trade things around. Right. Those are able to move. The economics of it, the, the Roman money, the Roman standards for all this, enables interrelationships between these different... So these interrelationships and
1: my ability to, let's say, enjoy something that a far culture produces, sort of like today with Amazon, eBay, and all these other startups and apps, right? You mm-hmm. know, like you buy a watch from, I don't know, and they and they plant a tree in Africa, and you get something that somebody else is producing in some boutique shop right. in South America, in right? But we talk about property law and uh, Baba Kama, Baba
0: Mitsuya Baba Batra, and right. today we have Alibaba.
1: Or AliExpress. It's funny, I actually had the daughter of one of the chairmen Alibaba on my tour at the Met oh yeah yeah it's a great story wow. I didn't know who he was so I was just very relaxed but the people there the reps from the company were all really nervous why because it's the chairman of Alibaba mm. and, and it was his daughter on his private tour and they were recording it and the whole thing and I was like I don't know just being myself and like how are you so charming <laughs> like, he, was, he was really impressed he's like wow like he travels the world looking for people like that he's like like you're really enthusiastic and knowledgeable I had no idea who he was I didn't know what Alibaba was if you would have said Ali Express I'd say wow I didn't know about Jack like I've heard of Jack Ma I just didn't know what Alibaba was wow wow, wow. so I'm like okay he's the chairman of Alibaba good for him
0: (laughs) ignorance is bliss
1: yeah open sesame
0: so you're hedging up to is saying that Yaakov created an interface with the city of Shechem and Chazal our sages are describing that interrelationship in terms of the market or money or the market Mm -hmm. or bathhouses but either way it's like
1: some Else that's flow and liquid. Mm. Right? <laughs> Liquidated, liquid yeah. money. Right? Bathhouses' nakedness became another issue with that city. Yes. Anyway, so we're talking about money. Now, the, the whole concept of introducing money is basically saying that he introduced a new way of replacing what the old way of doing business, which was, of course, bartering. Bartering. Yeah. Right? You know, I have a sheep, you give me a goat. Like, we trade service, we trade time. So it's a very interesting idea of, of coming up with money. Now, what is the whole idea of, of money? So obviously, it's, again, this is a chronological money was introduced in the sixth, like the end of the first temple period, more or less. And that it wasn't even used by Judea until the Persian period where, you know, Ezra Nehemiah talks about Adar Chonim and Dar right. We don't have coins in usage. We have it's, silver.
0: It's only after
1: we return from our first Galut. Because I've at that point, know. the powers that be mm. used this technology. I mean, you can't just make coins. You need the technology to do it. It's much easier to just have a stone weight, which you can sort of file down. And you have a scale. The earliest scales we found are from Egypt. And you have a certain amount of silver, like that. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a lot easier to standardize. I mean, yeah, there are localized standards. There's Shekel HaMelech, as we find with Avshalom, uh, David's son. We have different kinds of Shekel. There's with Avram, there's Shekel kesef Over LaSuchil. this international Shekel, like paying euro, Mm -hmm. as opposed to paying, you know, Canadian dollars. Like, okay, fine. But the idea of money itself is is something more objective, more universal.
0: Yeah, I'd point out that bartering, what that relationship emphasizes actually is your difference. I deal in chickens. This guy deals in wheat. We're different. Yes. Whereas if we have money, we have these common standards. What's emphasized in that interaction is actually what we share, what we have in common. Money is an equalizer. It's an equalizer. It's fungible. Right? if I can translate the product that I have into a monetary value... That's the idea of Midas, turning everything into gold. So, what if we thought about an economy that was neither barter nor money? I have two examples for you. brain from- Brainwaves? Brainwaves? I, I mean, know. how do you... <clears throat> ah, okay, you're saying... like What? Okay, so, what... That, right, that's exactly the question. So, what's the media... What is being exchanged in this economy? If it's not barter... And it's not not money. So credit. If we were to go over to Micronesia, into the Trobriand Islands, okay, right, we would find there two non-monetary economies, non-barter economies that okay. that operate. One is this banana leaf bundle economy. So family has somebody who dies, and then they have very elaborate onerous mourning ritual. Okay, and women are key figures in the mourning process. Okay, okay. You have women from all over the community who get involved in the morning for this one particular family's loss. And then the women of that family pay the women of their community for their work in this ritual <laughs> using banana leaf bundles, which, of course, are totally useless. Okay. It's a clearly economic exchange. If you don't make enough banana leaf bundles, people will think you're a cheapskate. And how do and you make them? Ostracized? You make banana leaves by morning... You harvest banana leaves, but then you
1: decorate them and stitch them together, and like do so. So there's there. this concept of turning something you you invest. I carve this. I made it special, and now it has value because I yeah. invested in it. It's social currency in a material form. Uh, I mean, this is this is totally bananas. Yeah. Yes. This is clearly bananas. It's basically a kind of currency. It's just something you
0: can't sell outside okay. of your little bonanza. So if you're into economics. Economic anthropology, the reason why you wouldn't call this currency is because it's only good for one thing. Mm-hmm. It's only good for one thing, and so it doesn't function as money. You can't use it for just anything. You can't use it for anything. It just I can't has take some... my banana leaf bundles and go buy
1: milk at the store. What do you do with them in this culture?
0: I don't think you do anything with so them. So how
1: are they worth anything? The
0: exchange itself is where the value is held. What do you do with that value? Where am I going to put the these get, leaf bundles that I got? What is their utility? There is no utility. To so what is their
1: value? Their value is... is, is they just give you social brownie points. Yeah, social status, social... Which button. means that if you walk into a store, they'll give you whatever you want because you have high banana standing. You're
0: trying to... You're thinking about this like
1: a... <laughs> but I'm sure. how is this currency? How is this a different... You're saying it's a non How do I get what I want? Social... These are like Instagram followers.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, may, maybe we do have a way of thinking. Like, yeah, what does it help me that I have, you know, 4 billion followers on Instagram? N- not a lot, but if you have that
1: many people you're going to get promoted, you're, the algorithms are going to favor you, and people are going to reach out to you and ask you to promote their I can, services. I can monetize my account. I can exactly, because them. you have a lot of followers. And yeah, then- so
0: like, if you're well-connected in, socially in the society, then you'll be able to do things. Okay, so the Trobriand Islanders, I hope you have your heads spinning in circles because I'm going to tell you about the coolest Circle. Oh, my God. Okay, so you have these islands there, and let me look at my notes here. The anthropologist who did this work was Melanowski who, if I remember correctly, wound up basically stranded in that area because of the World War. Couldn't get home. It was, uh, I think he was Polish. So, in this system, you have people carrying goods, which, again, are totally useless. They'll carry them for hundreds of miles across dangerous waters in canoes in order to exchange them. You mean they bought? What? Canoe? Uh, That's Hebrew for bought. Yes. yes, anyway, go ahead. There are thousands of people on these islands that are all involved in this and there are 18 islands that are involved. You can't just add another island. it's not an economy that expands. It's a traditional economy. Okay. Red shell disc necklaces that are traded clockwise. okay, these islands. and then you have white shell armbands which are traded counterclockwise. So you go from your island to this island over here and you're trading white armbands and their gift shell necklaces for that. And then you go home and you hold on to that. And then next exchange that you come across, you're, you know, trading appropriately. It sounds like social media today
1: I'll like your post, you like my post Do whatever it is you do in your Instagram I don't care, I, I just know that my, I, I don't know, this is just so strange
0: I mean, here, Here's uh, what's fascinating because it's also asymmetric Because there's only one kind of thing you can trade in one direction and Only one kind of thing you can trade in the other direction This sounds like a very complicated game uh, Well, Yeah, and it's all about social bonding right and if you're if you're an important chief you'll have like hundreds of followers hundreds of people you're trading with and if you're a regular guy you'll have you know a couple dozen maybe yeah it just it strikes me as amazing that you have these complex economies that have real value real necessity, necessity. I still didn't get how the
1: economy is related to this thing we're trading There's nothing economic about it.
0: Right. I mean, that's the thing. These things are useless. So, it strikes us as like, well, why would you trade that? And the answer is, well, there kind of is no reason why you would trade that particular thing. It's You have a thing that's representing something. So, that's the point. This thing isn't valuable in itself. It has value because of something that it represents. In that respect, it is like money, but it's not money because you can't use it to buy anything else. Um I'm glad you enjoyed that. Uh, Moving on. (laughs) We think about, but like... No, you don't find that amazing. I I find it amazing.
1: it, It is. It just doesn't seem to be effective. In doing more than living in an island. Well, what it does is it bonds
0: people together. It's all... It apparently... Yes. It's all about it's social bonding.
1: Well, that, that's an important part of marketing and play. And so, that, well, I think I, I appreciate that. saying before about the temple. Uh, okay. So it's an aspect of market that just seems a little bit stymieing, but it's really fascinating.
0: Right. But that sense that it's stymieing gets right back into what we the, the core of what we're talking about. That <laughs> if you have bartering... It's right, more personal. Bartering is useful... But it could be a lot more useful if you could abstract that value. So,
1: so money again is abstracting. Yeah, and we'll talk about that because there's another. There's some, some ideas of abstraction that actually show up. Like, for example, the Hebrew word for value. Value can also be damim, dmei, right? Dmei keys is pocket money. There's another word for money, but damim is kesef, as we mentioned. But damim is a very generic word. First of all, dam. Means blood. blood. But damim also means value, but it also dome. It also means similar. Right, so that there's this.
0: Exactly th- what we're saying. Like th- money is fungible.
1: It's universal. It's generic. Universal. Blood. blood is generic. I mean, yeah, there's different blood types, but at the end of the day, all our blood, we, we all have blood in our veins. And it's that sense of. Is your
0: blood redder than his?
1: Yeah, what, is, what does that mean?
0: You know that's from the Gemara?
1: Yes. Oh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think your blood is redder than his? Maybe his red. Like it's like if if it's one life against another life, let's put it that way. You know, there, there's a simpleton, there's a like some regular person, and then there's the the real leader of the generation. It's like, I don't know, is your blood redder than his? I mean, okay, I'm going to kill you unless you kill that guy. Like, okay, well, listen, I'm important. He's a nobody. Like, well, is your blood redder than his? Mm-hmm. Such a, like, like, yeah, blood is, like, life is life. Yeah, yeah. When, when, it's, when it's stripped of all of its social constructs, life is life. Yeah. It's, like, it's that so it's a beautiful idea. But the whole idea of money, even though it's impersonal, is, first of all, it's legitimized. It's, like, every it has, like, the stamp of the king on it or something like that. It's, it's very hard to forge. And that's part of the idea. Hmm. Right? It's durable. So, they make things out of metal. Precious metals. Mm-hmm. It's portable, so so bartering is much more personal. But think about it: if I want to buy something, I want to make a serious um, business transaction. Mm-hmm. I can't go around with ten million sheep, <laughs> right? You, you you ain't buying the Hyatt, right? So it needs to be something portable. It's a lot easier to move around with something small that has a high value. Mm. So you're gonna use bronze for simple transactions or silver for more expensive ones, or even gold for the most expensive transactions. And it also has to be divisible. So like here's five parts, six parts, 10 parts, you break it up. So money is a great ideal, but on the other hand, it's very impersonal. So think about it like this, you move from barter, Mm. I raised this sheep Mm. and I'm giving this sheep to you in exchange for something that you invested in, you made these shoes. Hard labor. I'm exchanging labor for labor, right, to get something that I need. And you change that with something that's like silver, which has a weight, stone measurement, and the silver is something which we all agree is precious. We move up the line, we talk about coins, and then the gold standard, which is the gold standard like Fort Knox. The gold standard is the idea that this note of paper, of material, represents something that's in a bank somewhere. Mm -hmm. used to be able to go to the bank and trade your money for silver dollars, by the way. It's actual silver, silver dollars, right? And I think like until the 70s, you're able to do that. Yeah. More or less. I have some silver dollars, by the way. Uh, as a cohen I have a whole bunch of them, and that's another story.
0: How uh, many silver dollars do you need in order five? To I
1: mean, they do five for whatever reason, so I did it twice. Yeah, uh, cl- we talk about five, right? So they yeah. Five maps onto that. I don't know. They have some calculation. They, they, maybe it's more symbolic than it's exact. Okay. But then you have the idea of credit. Mm -hmm. which is dots on a screen. There's no more gold standard. And then you move into cryptocurrency.
0: It's a unit on a digital server somewhere. The interesting thing here is these increasingly abstract forms of money become more (laughs) fluid, more usable, more universal, but they're impersonal. Think about it like this.
1: We say time is money, Mm -hmm. right? Money, the time that I'm spending, I could be making money. But on the other hand, money, because it has so much more value and it's more compact, Right, it's portable, etc. I can make a huge transaction just by clicking the mouse. That idea is amplified when you get into credit, when you get into cryptocurrency. I mean, who knows what I'm going to be able to do with cryptocurrency. Yeah, yeah. If you tell somebody, I'm quoting some lecture by Simon Sinek, but you know, if I tell somebody, you know, I just donated $10,000 to a charitable cause,
0: like,
1: okay. Hey, very good. As we say, good for you. I just spent the weekend helping paint a school in the inner city. Hmm. How do I react to that? that's inspiring. It's much
0: more personal. I want
1: I could achieve a lot more with money, mm-hmm. but it's not as personal. Mm-hmm. Time is not money. Yeah. There's something about the interface. I always think about
0: people having other people make food for them. Not like in a restaurant, but like in my home, say I have a somebody who does my cooking for me. Okay. I would feel like alienated from my food if it was if I was just Paying somebody to do the cooking for me, if I wasn't personally involved with it somehow. Oh, you know, I heard a beautiful story. About I mean, everybody orders out today. Not us, but no. But I'm saying, like, <laughs> that's what people do. They order out, you know. But but you, you, that kind of goes along with this sort of postmodern indifferent estrangement, alienated malaise. This kind of like disassociation from things. Yeah, your food isn't even. Uh... It's like AP. He, he, we ordered in. Great. But I don't have any sense that you care. Like, you aren't sharing your caring with me that you ordered in this food.
1: You can pretend you do. You can pretend our food comes with care, our food comes with you.
0: Maybe this is what's going on with the obsession with posting photos of your food on Instagram and whatnot. This is how you're going to care about your food. You're going to put it on display visually. It's like people don't make love anymore. Instead, they watch porn. People don't pour their care into their food anymore. Instead, they take photos and they... Share it with people that way. I'm not blaming people, it's just a, a social situation, a cultural situation where there's an endemic being cut off from care, an endemic indifference. Okay, this is what people can do. They can post photos on Instagram. Even if it's defective, you see people trying. I heard a beautiful story a wealthy family that was here for Pesach or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. They, they had hired like a very high-class chef. To do uh, a lot of the preparation for the holiday. Right. But the the grandmother of the family, who, there was no logistical need for this whatsoever because the chef was perfectly capable of taking care of it all, she made a point of making the matzo ball soup. For her, it was important that she have her chelek in the preparation of this meal. I need to be personally involved in the preparation of this meal. Mm-hmm. Kind of a dark side uh, of it. We're, we're going back to the whole story of what... This is a dark side of standardization. Once you have standardized weights and measures, you're moving away from the gritty intensity, the need for attention to every detail that you get in a in a non-standardized, totally personal interaction. Hmm.
1: It's just money. Just exchanging money. Hmm? Money is potential. It's not an actual. People get addicted, you know, like wishing for more wishes? Yeah, yeah. Michelle Silverstein about a guy who died with all the wishes for wishes for wishes next to him and never actually did anything. People get absorbed with money because money is something which is just endless potential. And there's no achievement. And the achievement is really what we're, we're supposed to be focused on. The investment, the personal achievement. Which makes achievement. It
0: think, okay, great, you've got a lot of potential
1: now. I mean, it's like youth, you know? Youth is all about potential, but there's no actuality, there's no achievement. Western culture is obsessed with potential. Yeah,
0: but nobody's obsessed with youth until they feel they're losing it. Until they feel that their potential has become Or youth is wasted on the young. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. The youth is not obsessed with his own potential. So...
1: The dangers of standardization and, and cryptocurrency and credit and the market and how that changes the way we interact as people. What do you see as the dark side of that?
0: We have these increasing levels of abstraction mm-hmm. that kind of takes us back to Yaakov, back to Jacob and the way that he sets up this interface mm-hmm. with the city. So, they aren't just barter.
1: So, out. there we're saying that it's supposedly know. a good thing because he was Vayichan right. at Pneir. I mean, he made the right. place nicer.
0: Right. Right, vayichan is the shon chen. Mm. Right, so the 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 simple meaning of vayichan is that they encamp. You know, uh, they they park. They park their uh, at the face of the at city. The face of the city. Yeah. So there is a kind of intimacy between. But that vayichan is also the shon chen. It's the language of grace, of beauty, and I was thinking that grace and beauty is very tied up with trade in general. I mean, the truth is, that same Shoresh, that same... I mean, etymologically, (laughs) chen, chenvani, chanut. Chenvani
1: is a a merchant. A shopkeeper. Chanut is a shop. Yeah. Right? It has to do with with
0: chaining training in chen. What is chen? Well, if I'm going to engage in trade with somebody, then... There needs to be some relationship there. Why would... I mean, why would I do business with you if I get bad vibes? Right. So the thing that people say that I've always heard is that the (laughs) levels of abstraction in our financial systems all rely on trust. So, maybe it's trust between people. I mean, how would eBay and Amazon work? I mean, if I'm not...
1: Uh, how do you buy anything on the internet well, if you're on,
0: worried about up, being robbed? Back up. Because because already, that's a very sophisticated level of trust. Because why on earth would I trust them? Right. Right? There's a kind of, like, a, to trust a, my finances in a corporate entity is... is ooh, that's remarkable. Right? Okay. You know, on the level of, a, like, a, a biz dev guy... Right, I have to go there. I have to shake his hand. I have to sit down with him. I that's how I'm going to get a sense for it. The same thing in fundraising too, Mm -hmm. right? Do I trust this person? Do I trust this into an institution? I have to visit. I have to you know put my boots on the ground. I mean, there's a lot of
1: people who who have that You can say that charm, Mm -hmm. who bewitch people in a sense.
0: Right. This is where we get into the dark side because trust actually isn't that. Trust isn't actually what we're relying on. What we're actually relying on is хен is this kind of grace, this beauty, this attraction that makes for the relationship. But it's it's actually chinam. That chin hmm. is... Well, the dark side of chen is chin, chinam. It's chinam because the relationship isn't actually merited. Well, what is chinam? So just... Chinam is, uh, is for free. So In the to... land of the free and the home of the... Bum. 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 This... Hain, which jumpstarts that relationship, starts a relationship that's chinam. There's no merit that underlies that. You're jumping into something for free. You're just trusting in it with almost no basis. I got a good vibe, right? He has Hain. Okay, so I'm in. Right, right, so, and that can be abused, and that can be. abused But that, what that, is that, that
1: thing which I'm, I'm, I'm taking this thing called chen, and I'm abusing it? We can call chen the personal, the interpersonal aspect. That's how I fool people. on am my personality.
0: I'm charming. Right. So th- this is sheker achen. Yes. Right, because right. chen can be a lie. Right. So Proverbs thirty one, we talk about it specifically with regard to, to this female figure, like right? sheker achen. The grace is a lie. In what sense is grace a lie? Well, it could be. It could be a lie. It doesn't have to right? be, but it could. Right? If there's substance to it, if there's that yirah, if there's that awe of of existence, then there there is not. It's not merely sheker. But the point is that chen, that grace, that beauty, that attraction, by itself, is very very risky can be abused. but So you think about this, like the whole point of doing
1: business and uh, we were talking about is like there's the personal and moving into the more abstract. And the chain we're basically saying the interrelationship itself is about the personal while we have that abstraction, I guess. So what are we saying about Yaakov ayichanet pneir I mean, we're clearly talking about something which has to do with how we conduct business. And that's really what we see. He's doing business with his brother Esav. Right, everything is about money and business for some reason. Like, the, then you get into all these interesting things that they say about Jews and money and business. But, like, there's something going on, right? Yeah. The cool thing is that, according to the Talmud and Shabbat in uh, Kuflamit, I think, 130, when you go to heaven, they ask you th- six questions. And the yeah. first question is, did you conduct business... With integrity ben. That's the first question They ask you So this preoccupation With doing business With integrity Is very very important Now we talk about When he goes there And, and, they, and they they have this ploy Which the brothers said After the rape Of their sister Dina They said We're going to kill everyone So basically they said oh, You need to circumcise If you want to marry her So everybody circumcises And so they give them Their sales pitch And then Shechem And minister Whatever The leader of the city Comes with the son And he says Let's all circumcise And then we'll be able To do business With these people the inter- yeah, and so, like, it's all about business. So, there's something about business that's clearly part of the story and which is not working on their end. But Yaakov is trying to get across.
0: Oh, that's very dark from the... From the... Dark? No, in, ter- in terms of thinking about women, too. To pair women with business that way. Okay. Like the whole thing is, is basically about chattel. we will be able to exchange goods and women. They're basically talking about, like, if you want to do business, I mean, political marriages. Mm-hmm. That's generally how these things worked. Well, the, the, the deeper point really is that we're going to become one people with them. Yeah, that we're, through we're marriage. going to have everything in common, right? And the start of that that we see through money is that you have this standard now that enables this interrelationship. So we have something that we can agree about, and we're doing business, of and course, it's
1: a business relationship. I mean, many, mar- doesn't many, many, end like that. No, it doesn't, because the the Sibla brothers, Shimon and Levi, were
0: problematic. Right, well, the, the, their point seems to be, we don't want to mix with these people. Right. But it's possible that the offer was real, and they, th-
1: their attitude towards us is what ruined things. I mean, these are nuances and settles in the story, yeah, but, yeah. but the point is that it's all about business
0: uh, and how we relate. So that's a very interesting thing. Chain allows for abuse. Right, okay. which on the, the simplest level of money we see in terms of counterfeiting. But chen, Oh, I see where you're going. Money, The chain of money has another function with the uh, matbea, with the images that we have on it. Before you were talking about Alexander.
1: Alexander the Great. Yeah. So think about this. Alexander the Great the has images... And propaganda. Propaganda. So, think about this. Alexander the Great mints Hercules on his coins. Mm-hmm. Like, w- w- first of all, why is he doing, why is he associating himself with Hercules? And second, Be why. A warrior, Right, Hulk smash. And why is he doing, putting it on coins? Why Dafka coins? Right, why Dafka coins? I don't know. Why Dafka coins? Well, if he's trying to send the message that he is Hercules, why not make a beautiful statue of yourself? Exactly. And where would you put that statue?
0: In a temple. And how many people would see it? Everybody who visits the temple. And how many people would see the money? Aha. You're saying that money is good for your image because yes. it goes everywhere.
1: Why do you oh, think... Oh, w- like today. On the $1 why, bill, know, we have United George States. Washington. hmm and, and in America, by the way, a president has to be dead for three years in order to be on the money because we don't do the whole monarchy thing. Monarchy. Yes. Huh. That's why people say they want to see Trump on money. Oh. <laughs> now, now you know what that means.
0: I never heard that before. First
1: time. We want to see him on the money. That means, yeah. Uh, So, uh, the Queen of England is on the money in Australia and in 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 Canada and in London. I mean, in in, in the UK. The
0: reason that Alexander would put his image as Hercules propaganda coin is the same reason that a politician wants to dominate social media. I want this to be my image. Yeah. Yeah. This is my image.
1: This is how I want you to relate to me. It doesn't matter if you'll ever see me. Alexander the Great is Hercules. Mm, That's exactly what we were saying before about Monitin. Yeah, right. exactly. Coins and Monitin. So the reputation of these founding figures Mm -hmm. in our national identity is, with Avraham, it's this concept. Had he minted a coin, Mm -hmm. in the Roman world, every emperor mints their own coin and they have images from mythology on it. I mean, that's what they did. Mm -hmm. And this is what they're seeing. How do you translate that idea in a way that people will understand? If Avraham's coin is youth and old age mm. david amela king david's image is shepherd and king mm. right the key the, the poor king the two sides of king david yes two yes. sides of the coin
0: yeah
1: right? that's what it is that idea that's how they translated the idea obviously it's a historical i don't think they actually thought he had a coin but the, the, what would you do with that coin under whose jurisdiction would that coin be empowered Mm-hmm. You, you you don't do that with. Co- they knew that at the time in the Roman period, it, it, SC on the bottom. That's it's, that's that's the empire. You can't make your own coins under a penalty of death. You don't make your own coins. Mm-hmm. How can Avraham have his own coins? Mm-hmm. Obviously he didn't. You can say King David, but Mordechai, Yoshua. Who's using these coins? Mm-hmm. Well, where's the bank? Mm-hmm. Where's the? That's not the idea. The idea is that there's a reputation. There's a monitine. That's your money. This is the idea that I represent. If I had the ability for you to associate me. With with an idea.
0: Ah, okay, so I want to know if there were a Nachlelkoi, what would be on the Nachlelkoi? Wow.
1: Wow. That's a very good question. I mean, I would definitely have something about coming from the Old City. Okay. And I don't know what the other side would have. I mean, people make medallions. They have medallions made for them. It's a family medallion. Mm-hmm. It's the person's medallion. Crest. Yeah, so yeah, there yeah. would be something like that. Uh huh. You know, probably that's probably the concept. That's probably closer to what Chazal mean when they say matbea. It's like this yeah, is yeah. your crest. Yeah. I mean, they actually say coin, but it's like if people could know your name every time they interact with other people. Yeah. And they'd be thinking about you. Oh, you have to have a sheep. That's just my
0: family name. Is yeah. your family name. But my Bohen, it's and, and we're going back to bartering then. Uh, sheep. Well, you're very personal. Personable. You would know. Yeah. Oh, man, you rammed that down my throat. Yeah, I'm fleeced it for all, I can, for all I can. It's interesting that fleecing becomes a euphemism for pulling the wool over somebody's eyes. And deceiving somebody in a financial interaction.
1: Hmm. Yeah. The barter of the sheep. That's, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, so we, 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 got into propaganda a little bit as one of the dark sides of what Chain can do is where you use your personal charm and the ability to connect to many people, where I guess that's the universal, communicate through money. I mean, for, besides, I just thought it's a fun side note is that, you know, in, in Harry Potter and in the Order of the Phoenix book five, you have this special charm that was used to communicate with the group on their money because they didn't have WhatsApp groups. So <laughs> they have on, on their money, on the coins, they have the DA, the Dumbledore's army communicating on money. But the money, money gets a point across because everybody, that's why it's called currency, mm-hmm. corrente, right? It runs; it's running, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Oh, so
0: wow. so it, it's 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 something why that it's round. No, no, that's a chazal. I didn't make that up. Money is round yeah, because why is it, money round? Because it circulates. Well, there you go. Circulates, flows, and have it runs. Cur- so, so
1: currency flow—it's yeah, yeah. all of these terms which are very like yeah, yeah. It's it's
0: it's really an amazing thing. Yeah. Shall we wrap this up? Yeah, let's wrap this up because we were thinking about chain, attraction. And we've been thinking about weights. Weights which are based on mass and gravity. In other words, attraction.
1: There's that scene in Back to the Future where Marty McFly is realizes like that his mother has a crush on him. Well she should. So Dr. Brown says, I think your mother has a crush, and he's like, Are you saying that my mom has the hots for me? That's heavy, Doc. And he goes, There's that word again. Heavy. Like is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? So speaking about heavy and attraction, I mean, that's heavy, Doc. I mean, like, chen, the idea of this chen with chenvaniya and hanut in connection.
0: Almost all your movie references lose me completely. Back to the future. <laughs> Back to the future. I, I, I've, I saw it a few times as a kid. I... <laughs> well, well, clearly not enough. <laughs> Okay,
1: hold on. We're we're pointing out. But the point having is having that the point is that chen itself in the physical world attraction is gravity. Yeah, yeah. It's weights.
0: Yeah. So that are, those ideas are deeply, deeply related. I mean, I love that we have this. I like to think of this as there is one idea which is manifest in different realms, mm-hmm. right? And maybe on some level. Like on the, the level of human development We mm-hmm. think of this in terms of Metaphor, like it started off In some simple realm uh, Gosh, what what's The more fundamental thing? That people feel Attracted to each other, and then based On that experience of attraction We understand How things fall mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, gravity As a concept is really far more abstract You know, even though it's simple physical things mm-hmm. Than in human attraction Human attraction is a Ready
1: well, I mean, attraction is probably a far better description of gravity than falling down. Well, gosh, how far can we push this? In three-dimensional space, you're not falling down. You're being attracted to the center of gravity.
0: Right. So, attracted. Yeah, that's Newton. If we go to Einstein, then you've got... You're just traveling on a straight line. Gravity in in general relativity would be the curvature of space. So, but, but space is curved by mass. Well, no, my question is, is there a way to understand chen in terms of curvature? It can be very warped.
1: But there are certain people, I mean, the whole point of tzaddik yesod olam, which is Yosef, who's chen, who's like the tzaddik was the basis of the world, it's that you have more gravitas because of your charm, because of your openness, because of your ability to relate to people in a more universal way mm. you know how to relate to more people
0: mm. that has, gives you more appeal mm. right you also, draw people in yeah i wonder mm. if this connects back to the the language of uh, establishing a camp too by Ichan. as a center as a center as a place of
1: L'chanot is also to encamp to sort of lay down your weight in a particular place yeah but it's also a place in which the, the whole idea of God traveling with us and having an ongoing connection with us. That's when Moshe, Moshe Rabenu Moses, prays for God to continue going with us. And that's where the idea of the encampment is a, a solution for the golden calf, where God says, I can't dwell with you for a minute because I'll destroy you. And, God, and Moshe says, then let's have a mishkan, let's have a
0: machane. And there we go back to gold. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Okay, this has been an amazing journey through a lot of different ideas, back to the future and and the past. So, thank you everybody for joining us for episode 2. Why? Did you see anything there? Like, why would the Greeks connect coin-making dafka, to a princess? How did she come into Greece? What was her connection to Greece? Well, she's a daughter of Agamemnon. Right. She's, she's a native-born Greek. I but she about. must have gotten it from somewhere. So she belongs to us,
1: but she got it from Midas.
0: Ah, you're saying she brought it from Midas, who's this kind of liminal character in Greek culture. Yeah. Like he's... He's the Rumpelstiltskin. He's like... Part no, he just of, turns it, everything into gold. Yeah, yeah. He, he's like part of what's going on in their world, but he's not really Greek. It's,
1: real, it's one
0: of it. these origin stories. I mean... The the thing that you ascribe the origin to, like right. why why do a woman? Let's just start with that. I don't know. Women give birth. So then like everything should be, should have its origins in women. I mean, Athens does. Yeah, that's true. Athena. But also
1: Athena's... But Hellenism real. does. No, Helen is a, is a he. Never mind. Not that Helen. But that's Helen of Troy, (laughs) Yeah, Helen of Troy. Yeah, you just hear it in English, you're like, oh, it's probably like Helen. Like, no. (laughs) That's where Hellenism comes from.
0: As long as you don't heckle me.
1: Oh, might I? Might us? Might we? That was pretty bad. (laughs) 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 What I'm trying to say here at the end of the day... Prematurely. The Israel Antiquities Authority released, uh, published a two-shekel stone, which they found under Wilson's Arch, which is on the southwest corner of the Temple Mount. So if you're coming in from the Dung Gate and you're walking towards the western wall, it's the corner of the Temple Mount
0: I and know people know what Dung Gate is if you're if you're standing at the the Kotel the Koisel the Western well, if Wall you, if
1: you're Relling following Wall, the road uh, The pavement walking into the gate of the
0: old city towards the Western Wall again well, What's that Dung Gate if you're standing at the Kotel the Koisel that's making it more complicated, but okay. Just so not
1: <laughs> Well, the Western Wall has a corner uh, towards the east if you're
0: standing at the Western I mean the of- south if you're standing at the Western <laughs> Wall and you turn to your right and follow the wall, then you- Towards the Dung
1: Gate, which is the name of the gate which, with which you exit the Old City, okay. And you let the wall take a corner to its own left, which is the, south, the Southern Wall.
0: Why on earth are you
1: bringing in Dung Gate? I'm a local, it makes sense to me. I understand, but most people aren't locals. So you're saying this is a load of dung?
0: Yes. <laughs> If you're standing at the Kotel Then let's skip over that <laughs> Okay, so uh, Can I please describe the look? Please
1: do it Thank you
0: If you're standing at the Kotel You're facing the Kotel And then you turn right And you just follow the wall along the Temple Mount And you come to a corner Between the Western Wall and the Southern Wall And that corner there is where uh, What's his name? Wilson. Wilson's arches. So Wilson built the arch, right? Uh, Well, that's actually Robinson's
1: arch, but we're gonna let that one slide. Um, Wilson's arches. anyway, let's get on with it. (laughs) The Wilson's, Wilson's arch is the one which is, um, I think that's the one that's actually in the enclosed part of the cota where you take a left instead of a right and you're under a tunnel. And I think Wilson, um, Robinson's arch is the one which is on the corner.
0: So this is Wilson. You screwed that whole thing up.
1: I did. It's okay, we'll edit this.
0: <laughs> okay, Google. Where's Wilson's Arch? Let's see who gets this first. The address for Western Wall is Jerusalem. <laughs> I got very non-specific directions. Uh-huh. Wilson's Arch. William? Yep, that's the right, I got, I got it right. So I had, I got it wrong. Okay, so please describe where Wilson is. Okay. Thank you to everyone who has been supporting the podcast by subscribing, giving us five-star ratings, writing glowing reviews, sharing the podcast far and wide, and donating. If you haven't yet, we hope you do. We have amazing things planned, and you are making it possible for us to continue producing the podcast. Most of all, thank you very much for joining us on these wild adventures into history, ideas, and existential mystery. If you're a podcaster and you'd like to interview Nachliel or me, please get in touch. In fact, if you're anyone who'd like to get in touch, please get in touch. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Mer Simcha. Nachliel is at MuseumToursIL. And we hashtag our posts about the podcast with hashtag ArtifactPodcast. Nahliel also does that Instagram thing. Again, at museum tours, IL, and we're both on Facebook, where we have a page for the podcast, intuitively named Artifact Podcast. Nachleil and I both have other podcasts, and there are links for those below.